0: Thank you for joining the online ministry of Little River Church. May you be blessed by the Word of God. I'm going to read. You don't have to stand because it's one one verse of Scripture, and I know this church reverences the Word of God. And honestly, you probably don't even need to get your Bibles out and read this verse of Scripture because I'm sure all of you know it, and you've probably all quoted it to yourself a time or two. It's Psalms 30, verse 5, For his anger endureth, but a moment in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. This passage of scripture has been an encouragement to many who find themselves in dark moments in their lives. As we walk through pain, heartache, turmoil, financial instability, divorce, depression, anxiety, all manner of tribulations. There is such a calming that can come into our spirits when we hold on to that promise that joy will be found in the morning sun. Nothing can build one's faith like standing in the valley, finally seeing the glimpse of the morning rays rising from beyond the mountaintop, the refreshing mist of dawn's dew, the beautiful songs being sung by early morning birds, the warmth of a new day's sun beginning to bring life back into what you thought was a dead soul. Your night may have been filled with weeping, but now your promised joy has come In the morning, it's in this instant you can look back at the darkest moments of life and see God walking with you hand in hand, step by step. You see that while he didn't necessarily deliver you from darkness, he assuredly guided you through it. Your faith is now high. Your spirit tested, your resolve ever the more proven. You've had your doubts, your fears, your battles, but now all of that is behind you. And now that you're in the morning, you can sing as the psalmist sang in verse chapter 18 I love you, Lord. You are my defender. You are my protector, my strong fortress. God, with you I am safe. You've endured the night, and your morning has finally come. But sometimes you find yourself standing in the darkest moments of life, patiently anticipating the arrival of that morning sun, and with it, the relief that it may bring. You've prayed until your voice gives out. You've proven yourself to be faithful in your continued service to God and keeping his word. Regardless of your current life circumstances, you've done everything that God has asked you to do. You've done your very best to take on the full armor of God and stand firm in the ways of the Lord. You have endured sickness while others receive healing. You felt pain while others experience joy. You've had your emotions and your spirits beaten down and crushed while it seems like your fellow followers of Christ flourish in every avenue of their life. You feel like your faith is tested day in and day out. And the only words of wisdom anyone seems to be able to give you is just keep holding on because weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But sometimes you still feel so alone. We're told that we're all in this journey together, but the path that others seem to be walking on is one smoothly paved with blessed assurance and hope while your path is pieced together with the fragmented cobblestones of shattered promises and broken dreams. You gaze longingly at the mountaintop, praying for just one small ray of sunshine to bring you relief, but your relief does not come. You are stuck in the cycle of the shadows, another prayer seeming unanswered, another day spent in the pale moonlight. And as you look up, lifting your eyes to the hills from which should cometh your help, believing you will see your redemption draweth nigh, all you see is darkness." Another moment has passed you by and there is no signs of mourning. And you begin to ask yourself, if you're really honest, where is God in these moments? I'm holding on to the promise that my joy comes in the morning. But what do I do when another night goes by and mourning has not yet come? And this is the question I pose today, which is the title of my message. What do we do? When morning doesn't come. And if you could right now pray with me over this word. Lord, I pray right now in your name, Jesus, that you would help me speak your word with clarity. You would help me speak your word with passion, God. But more importantly, you would help me speak your word with the anointing of your spirit, God. Let your word fall on good ground today, Jesus. Let us leave here better than when we got here. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. January 14th, 2018, the divisional round of the NFC playoffs. This is going to hurt some of you guys. The New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings were engaged in a gridiron battle who would determine who would move on to face the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFC Championship game. And I remember it vividly. We were over at a friend's house. Actually, we were at Jason Ryan's house with a big group of people. And we were just watching the Saints get smoked. That's it. Just watching them get housed. The offense seemed sluggish. The defense lacked intensity. And it seemed like everything that could go wrong for the Saints went wrong. And we moaned and we groaned and we grumbled and we complained as the Saints found themselves going into halftime down 17 to 0. Am I preaching to anybody? Anybody remember what I'm talking about? My wife and I decided that we were going to go ahead and make that halftime drive across the river to another group of friends' house um, because what's worse than being miserable is driving 30 minutes across the river to just be equally as miserable but now 30 minutes away further from where I live um, and we spent the rest of our miserable night well not she wasn't miserable she was having a time she has I was gonna get she has like videos of all of my miserable saints existence like I don't know why I keep letting them hurt me this way but they just do they keep hurting me they're gonna hurt me again this year it's like Uh, It's just what happens. And she has, like, just, like, videos of me just being hurt and being sad. And she loves it uh, because she's awesome and and mean but great. Um, So we decided to drive across the river to another group of friends' house who were equally as miserable Um, But something amazing happened. And those of you who know what I'm talking about, you know, by the time we arrived at this other gathering, the saints had figured it out and they had turned it on. They kept working. They kept grinding. They kept pushing, play after play, doing all of the sports cliches we talk about. And when they didn't know what to do, they did as Anna Anna sings in Frozen 2, they just did the next right thing. I love that song. (laughs) That song gets me. I'm like, you're right, Anna. Anna. Just do the next right thing. And after battling back and scoring a staggering 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter alone with 29 seconds left, Saints kicker Will Lutz would boot a 43-yard field goal to give the Saints their first lead of the game, making the score 24-23 Bayou Boys. And after a touchback, Vikings offensive tackle Mike Rimbers would be called for a false start. Now it's first and 15 on the Minnesota's 20. Case Keenum would throw a 19-yard pass to Stefan Diggs. He'd catch it, fall on the ground, timeout. Minnesota, the next play, an incomplete pass. New Orleans, timeout. With 14 seconds left, Case Keenum would throw another incomplete pass. Now there are only 10 seconds left. And they're only at their own 39-yard line. There's time for one more play. And even if it's a completed pass, there isn't enough time to run another one. All that would need to happen. I've said this so many times. All you needed to do. was make a tackle. I got my help. Where's my help at? I got a witness. Just make a tackle. That's literally all you're paid to do. And as the ball would be snapped on the last play, Case Keenum scrambles in the pocket, narrowly avoiding the incoming pressure. And I remember thinking so vividly, like it happened yesterday, I cannot believe that the saints are gonna pull this off. (laughs) Because I hadn't been a Saints fan my whole life. And known that I knew exactly how this story ended. Because this is what happened. Everything leading to that single moment now deemed the Minnesota miracle made us believe that while the odds were stacked against them because they kept pushing and kept fighting and kept working that the saints would be rewarded with victory. The saints up until that point did everything they needed to do to complete a most improbable comeback, yet they still lost. Because sometimes, even though the saints should win, saints don't always win. Sometimes, even though you're grinding and praying and fasting and living for God, attending church and doing your very best to follow after God, sometimes you still lose. Sometimes there are seasons in your life that have nothing to do with decisions that you've made. It has nothing to do with how spiritual you may or may not be. Sometimes it's just life. We often use a scripture that says, um, all things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We really misquote that scripture and we try to teach it as like, everything that has ever happened to you happens because God made it for good. It's not what the scripture says. He makes all things work for good. He does not make all things good. He makes them work. You ever, had, you ever said that one time where you get something you really didn't need or really wasn't gonna work and like, man, eh, we'll make it work. I know like I need like a Phillips head screwdriver and all I have is like a wrench I will make it work I can make it work that's what God does he's like hey this thing that you're battling this decision that you made that I didn't have anything to do with this thing that happened to you because somebody else was raggedy I can make it work all things work together for your good but not all things are good and you have to begin to understand that because if you don't, if you go through life thinking every single thing that happens to me is because God made it happen. He makes all things work. And if you're not careful, you can actually be moving in the right direction. But because the situations around you don't seem to be getting better, you doubt, am I really doing this thing right? Am I, am I really going in the right direction? Am I really spiritual enough? Is all of this worth it? You begin to question because you're living for God with the assumption that a follower of Christ will never go through dark seasons. But sometimes the saints lose. We must understand that whether we like it or not, the Christian experience is made up of both light and dark. It is made up of both day and night. I grew up hating the night. Now I love the night because I like going to sleep. <laughs> I used to hate the night. Growing up, I was always outside gallivanting around my neighborhood, playing ball, riding bikes. One of our favorite things to do was walking to the corner store and being able to buy something with our own money that our mom gave us. (laughs) I'm going to buy with my money that you gave me. I always loved being outside and my parents really gave me a a good amount of liberty within reason, especially during the summer. I really only had one main rule and some of you probably have the same rule. When the streetlights come on, you're home. You're not coming home. You're not on the way home. Yeah. You're home. And I learned real quick. So there was a streetlight in front of my parents' house that got on sooner than all the other ones. And I thought if I hang out at a certain friend's house, the streetlight like, doesn't come on. It comes on later. No, 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 man. When that streetlight's come on, you in this house. I don't care what the streetlights in Uganda are doing. That streetlight comes on. You at the house. It didn't matter what I was doing, didn't matter where I was, didn't matter who I was with, didn't matter what the excuse was, when the streetlights come on, you're in the house. Because the streetlights symbolize that we are now going from day to night. They represented a shift, and I understand bad things can happen during the day, but in the immortal words of the 1980s psalmist Houdini, freaks come out at night. I hated when it was the night because the night meant that I had to leave friends. I had to stop having a good time. I had to go home, eat dinner, do homework, and go to bed. Nighttime meant it was going to be dark. And as a young child, there were times when I was fearful of the dark, as I'm sure many of you were scared of the dark. Actually, a study shows that 73% of children between the ages of 8 and 12 are scared of the dark. Because fear of the dark is common, not only amongst children, but amongst adults as well. Scary images, stories, common objects and sounds we can't immediately identify because they are masked in darkness will fuel our imaginations and our fear of the dark begins to grow. According to clinical psychologist John Mayer, not that one, like different, not the... He's the author of Family Fit, Find Your Balance in Life. He says, fear of the dark is incredibly common amongst adults and... It's estimated that almost 15% of the United States population of adults is still afraid of the dark. He says, it's a more common fear than a fear of heights. And that's because the fear comes from a very logical place. Darkness impairs our vision quite literally, and it is inherently uncomfortable, explains licensed clinical psychologist Alicia Clark. She says, we aren't so much afraid of the dark, but we're afraid of what's in the dark that we cannot see. When the sun goes down and the lights go off, our vision we rely so heavenly, heavily on becomes useless because we're now isolated in darkness. In a spiritual sense, we have the same logical and rational fear of the dark. We find ourselves isolated in darkness, alone in nighttime seasons, and our vision of what God is really wanting to do begins to get impaired. We begin to allow the darkness of the night to make us uncomfortable. The darkness begins to fuel our imagination and fear begins to grow. We get paranoid, fearing things that aren't even real. We begin to look at things in new ways. We begin to extrapolate situations that never happen because it's dark. We can't see. We hate the night. We despise darkness. We spend our whole lives trying to avoid these seasons in our lives because we are scared of the dark. I don't understand the allure of scary movies. I go my entire life trying not to be scared. It's like, oh, I love that movie. It made me cry. But why would I watch it? I spent my whole life trying not to cry. I don't... Whatever. Watch Frozen 2 and get about your business. Like, Just do the next right thing. We despise the night. We despise darkness. But I believe the reason that we find ourselves so debilitated in darkness is because we have a faulty understanding of what darkness is and the place that the night really has in our lives. In Genesis 1, verse 1 through 5 it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the waters. And God said let there be light and there was light and God saw the light and it was good and God divided the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. He's the God of the day, but he's also the God of the night. In the beginning, God, the opening phrase in your Bible shows us that before there was anything, there was God. Nothing predates God. Nothing exists before God or outside of God. God is eternal and he stands alone. But notice something in verse 2, and darkness was on the face of the deep. It wasn't until verse 3 that we see God speak those words, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning, it was only God and darkness. And we know scientifically that light may be more powerful than darkness. Even a single ray of light can slice through darkness like a hot knife and butter. But the fact is this, while light may be stronger, light is not the default state of existence. Light is an additive. Darkness is the constant. If it were not for these light bulbs, the headlights in your truck, flashlights, or the sun itself, the default state this world finds itself in is darkness. And that's why it's so important. Those of you who've been around for a while, the default state your world is in is dark. The default state your school is in is dark. The default state of the United States of America is dark. Light is an additive. And you have that light. It was like, this is how it was in the beginning. There, God stood alone before anything. And he spoke things into existence in the dark. Because unlike us, God does not fear darkness. He is not limited by darkness. In fact, God builds in darkness. You may find yourself in dark seasons today wondering how Will I ever make it clinging to the seemingly fleeting hope that your morning is right around the corner? But can I encourage you today that even if your morning never comes, even if you never find your healing, even if you never find the thing that you're looking for, God is not limited by your darkness. God can still create beauty in darkness. God still operates in darkness and God still moves in darkness. Even in your current life situation, if it feels form and without void, read Genesis 1 again. You are in the perfect place for God's spirit to move. If your situation is form and without void, you are in the perfect situation for God to build something. God's promise to his disciples, I will never leave you nor forsake you, rings true in the darkest of night just as much as it does in the brightest of days. While you may not be delivered from darkness, he will be with you through darkness. The sun is the earth's sole source of true, continuous, and constant light. The earth is never without the sun. Even in the darkest moment of the day, midnight, the sun is still present. Even the moon itself, something we use as a symbol for the night, still reflects the light of the sun, being a reminder that even in our darkest moments, we are never truly without the sun. The psalmist writes in Psalms 23a, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. The amazing thing about shadows is they don't exist without a light source. The darkest of shadows made by the deepest of valleys still in and of themselves speak to the existence of a light source greater than itself. Maybe you can't see it. Maybe you're too deep in the valley. Maybe the steep mountain peaks are blocking your view. But listen to me. If you are standing in a shadow, light is somewhere. And this is why I can speak with confidence as the psalmist didn't declare though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will not fear because the existence of shadows and the existence of death death itself operates in me that there is a reminder that though it is dark I am NOT without the Sun the Sun is somewhere maybe I can't see him the way I used to see him maybe I need to reposition myself maybe I need to find my way back to him or maybe 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 I need to just allow him to walk me through this season. Whatever the case may be, I can stand on the promise knowing that if there is a shadow, there is a light. If there is a shadow, there is the sun. I may be in darkness, but I'm not there by myself. God is not afraid of the dark. God does his best building in the dark. He built Joseph in a pit, David in a cave. He built Paul in a prison. God does mighty works at night. And even if you feel today like you're navigating the night, he still desires to do a work in you, even if it seems like morning will never come. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we are created in the image or the likeness of God. That word likeness in Genesis 1.26 is the Hebrew word demuth, meaning to be like. And on the surface, it seems very simple. God made us to look like him. But this word, demuth, is not only referring to being in the image of God in a physical sense, but it refers to having the spirit or the essence of God. If we read that passage or verse in context, when God created man in his likeness, he didn't just create man as a pattern version of what he looks like, but he created man with his essence, his dominion, and his attributes. You in the sanctuary tonight were formed with the characteristics and the attributes of your creator, a creator that has no problem building in the dark. And as such creatures formed in the very likeness of God, we too can create in the dark. Who you really are is not built in the comfort of the day, but rather built in the harshness of nights. Who you want others to think you are is built in the day, but who you really are is built at night. Your reputation may be built in the day, but your resolve and your character is built at night. It's the darkness that confirms, validates, and solidifies your faith. See, our finances can rely on our job. Our health can rely on our gym membership. Our futures can rely on education. Even Your ministry or your place in the kingdom can rely on a pastor or a leader, but what happens when your company downsizes and you're let go? What happens when you can no longer control your health with a gym schedule and eating habits? What happens when you're not accepted into that program or no one's hiring? What do you do when a leader or a pastor lets you down and you find yourself seemingly without any opportunity to operate in the kingdom the way you feel like you should be operating? These are the questions that will play your life more often than anything else. God, what do I do when I have no answer? These are hard questions. What do I do, God, when I can't feel your spirit? God, what do I do when I can't hear your voice? God, what do I do when I don't have anywhere else to go and you're seemingly not around? These are the questions that can only be answered at night. Answering these questions of our faith and the building of our character cannot be done in the day. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that tested genuineness of your faith, which, by the way, is more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's through those dark seasons that your faith is fortified, like a metal more precious than gold. Living in seasons of darkness, it's, it's not comfortable, but it's beneficial. Your faith will be tested at night. Your faith will be proven genuine at night. Your faith will be made whole at night. Your faith will be fortified at night, and you can't please God without faith. Your spiritual discipline, your resolve and commitment to the things of God will be fortified at night. See, the night will teach you not to rely on emotion, but to choose to be spiritual. We have this weird thing that we do as 2020 Christians where we believe that being spiritual is a feeling. Oh boy, I felt spiritual today. What happens when you wake up and don't feel spiritual? Will you still pray when you don't cry and weep and lay on the floor for three hours? Will you still seek the face of God when your coffee's gross and your bills are due and you feel like your prayers are hitting a ceiling? See, we teach that once we get the Holy Ghost. this Okay, sorry. Um, Getting comfortable. That's not good. One of the major issues I have with like modern Christian teaching, um, luckily it's not taught here, don't worry, don't look around, um, is that we, they, not we, they, people, individuals, humans, um, teach that the primary evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is you have the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. The problem with that theology is that if you're telling people the only evidence of the Holy Spirit is that you have the fruit of the Spirit, what happens when that person is supposed to love and they don't love? Do they not have the spirit? What happens when that person's supposed to exhibit patience, but they don't exhibit patience? Do they not have the spirit? This teaching is, is kind of contradictory to what Paul said, because Paul tells us in Galatians 5.17, he says that the things that your flesh desire to do will always be at war with the things your spirit wants to do. I've often said that if you can wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and nothing was difficult spiritually, you should probably reevaluate the way you live for the Lord. If nothing made you uncomfortable, because your flesh and your spirit will never be on the same page. In fact, in fact, there are double the amount of works of the flesh as there are fruits of the spirit, because it is doubly difficult to suppress your flesh as it is to suppress a spirit. You have two people. One person wants to elevate the flesh and suppress the spirit. That's a whole lot easier than a person wanting to suppress their flesh and elevate their spirit. But the darkness teaches us we can't rely on emotions. Darkness teaches us that your flesh and your spirit are at war. Darkness teaches us that the works of the flesh are emotional. They're responses. Whereas the fruit of the spirit is a choice. See, the spirit of God will not come in you and all of a sudden make you love. All it does is give you the ability to say, I will love. Because without it, you can't even do that. Without the Spirit of God, you don't have an option. You're stuck, like the entire Old Testament. You're stuck. You will always fail. But when God fills you with the Spirit, it just gives you the choice to make the right decision. It just gives you an option. You still have to make the option. The fruit of the Spirit is a choice, and I said that sometimes. You go, uh, love's not a choice. Love's a feeling. You've been married. <laughs> You're single. <laughs> Promise you that. <laughs> yeah, I'm stuck like Chuck. Anybody got a ride home? <laughs> oh, she can't drive at night. I'm good. <laughs> she can't go nowhere. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is a choice. It's the, it's, it's the love that Jesus talks about that isn't a natural response. If I came and punched you in the face, your natural response wouldn't be like, man, I love, the Spirit just makes me love you. You'd be like, hey, bro, like, These hands are ready to eat for everyone. Like, you can get it. Like, (laughs) try Jesus. Don't try me. Like, (laughs) you know. The fruit of the Spirit is a choice. I choose to love when I should not love. If love and the fruit of the Spirit was a natural reaction, Jesus wouldn't have spoken about it as many times as he spoke about it. We must practice spirituality and and we can only have practical spirituality in darkness making spiritual decisions rather than expecting god to do spiritual things through us while the works of the flesh being natural responses to outward stimuli your emotions being dictated by circumstance while the fruit of the spirit not being dictated by outward circumstance but inward commitment and dedication but you cannot get there without darkness They always say, be careful praying for God to give you patience, right? Because he gives you a reason to be patient. We cannot allow our faith to crumble under the weight of darkness's uncertainty, but let our faith grow and solidify through these moments of discomfort. It's at night That I will learn to love in moments I should not be able to love. It's at night that I will learn to have joy in joyless situations. It's at night that while I'm dealing with their turmoil and hurt and pain, I will find a way to have peace. I want to be built into what God wants me to be, even if it means I have to go through a little bit of darkness. And recently, there's been a renaissance amongst photographers that... um, are going back to old film cameras. While digital cameras are obviously more advanced, they're more versatile, they're more current, a lot of photographers just find something special about an old-fashioned film photo. With so many photographers kind of going back and shooting with film, I did a little digging of why did we go digital in the first place? And while most people admit film provides a truer color, higher resolution, pure overall look, one major setback is the time and energy it takes to actually develop a picture. You have to physically trim your film, load your film into a reel, place that reel in a reel tank, mix up your film-developed solution, make sure it's exactly at 70 degrees, pour that solution into a reel tank, let it sit for 10 minutes, hang dry your film for at least 20 minutes, and after all of that, you can now bring it to a printer. And all of that must be done in the dark. One photographer said, if you can see in front of you, there's too much light. Meanwhile, in the same time it took you to develop your film, I could have taken a digital photo, edited it, printed it, framed it, and hung it up. And this is why mainstream photographers and consumers alike are no longer really using film because it takes too long, and it's far too inconvenient. But to some, the end result is worth a little extra work, a little extra energy, a little extra time, and they don't look at the darkroom as a deterrent or an inconvenience, but rather a place to develop. Those passionate about film photography do not fear the dark. They learn to love it because it's in the darkness where their art is made whole. It's in the darkness where they're able to develop what they've been working so hard on. For them, it is a place of growth and a place of completion. With a digital camera, you can try and fabricate the look of film. You can attempt to emulate the feel of film without having to go through the dark room and develop your picture. And while it may look good enough to some, it won't measure up to the beauty of a photo that's truly gone through the developmental process. You can try to fabricate an anointing. You can try to have a digital ministry. And while you may fool everyone else until you accept that the only way to truly develop into who God is calling you to be is to go through a dark room, your anointing will always be second rate. You can try to fake it, but without the dark room, it will always be of lesser quality. Because something special happens when we accept all that God has for us and we accept that I may go through trials and struggles and what the enemy meant to destroy me. God is using this darkness to complete my picture. Before the process of the dark room, all you can see is a small, tiny frame called the negative You may be in a situation that seems too big for you to handle situations and circumstances that seem like at any moment it will break you under the pressure of life. But I've come to tell you something very simple, that you feel this way because your development is not yet complete. All you see cutting through the darkness is one small fragment of a much larger image. All you can see right now is the little negative. But if you just hold on and place that negative in the hands of Jesus darkness will not destroy you. It will complete you. The thing that you've been working on, that ministry you've been building, that that prayer life you've been wanting, the way you study all of these things that God is calling you to do, though all you can see is the negative, God will use it to develop you. Don't look solely at the darkest moment you're in, for it's a mere snapshot of what God is doing. But before you can see the picture in its beauty and completion, you must learn to be developed in darkness. And as we all stand and musicians can come. I close tonight attempting to answer the question I pose as a title of my message: "What do I do when morning doesn't come?" God, what do I do? I learned to walk at night. (laughs) I learned to let darkness develop me. Because if the darkness isn't going anywhere, neither am I. My wife and I are no strangers to dark seasons. In fact, the original thought of this message came as a personal word from God in the middle of one of these seasons I'm talking about. We found ourselves in a season where no matter how much we prayed and fasted and loved and committed ourselves and tried to chisel away the rough edges we tried to do everything that was ever asked of us we woke up the next day and still seemed like morning hadn't come message after message being preached about just hold on morning is coming just just hold on your deliverance is right around the corner your miracle is one prayer away your blessing is one prayer away just keep pushing here it comes here it comes and it was empty, and it was dry, and it was dark. We had nothing to do but build altars in our home because it was the only place we could find refuge. But God did something. He developed in darkness. And I cannot guarantee that your mourning is one prayer away. I wish I could. I wish... So desperately that I could have ended this message at the very first scripture and we could have prayed and worshiped and ran around the church saying, yes, you are right. Oh, weeping is going to endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I wish that I could tell you your answer is one prayer away. I wish I could tell you your morning is but one sunrise away. I wish I could tell you that when you walk out this door, everything will be fine, but I can't because I don't know that. But what I can say with all confidence is though your morning may not have come, your darkness does not have to break you. Even though things may not always look bright, though you may struggle, though you may fight things, you can make it. There's something beautiful. When you read in Scripture, the most important thing you can ever hear is not you're healed. The most important thing you could ever hear in life is not, here's your financial blessing. The most important thing in life isn't, hey, this problem you had, it's taken care of. The most important thing you could ever hear is, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not well done, thy good and healed servant. Not well done, thy good and rich servant. Not well done, thy good and happy servant. Not well done, thy good and and frolicking through the flowers servant. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. The night doesn't have to break you. In fact, in some cases, the night's the blessed place you can be because he is coming like a thief in the night. Whether you find yourself frolicking in the sunlight and everything in life is awesome. Good for you. I'm very happy for you or you find yourself in a season where you can't ever imagine the sun rising again, tonight is the night you can recommit everything you have to God. Everything we have and everything we are. In Psalms 56, one through four, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long. An attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample me all day long for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. I don't know what you need today, but I know that God knows what you need today. Maybe you're here and you just need God to renew your strength. This altar call is for you. Maybe you've been trekking through darkness so long you've lost sight of where God is and you need him to remind you that he has never left you and he will not forsake you. This altar is for you. Or maybe you've lived your entire life in the default state of darkness because you have yet to encounter the experience of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. You can have an encounter with him today that will not only change your life, it will change your eternity. This altar is for you. Thank you for watching today. If you would like to help us deliver content around the world online, please consider making a donation. Please go to littleriver.church and choose what option works best for you. Thank you and have a great day.